Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Church Online. It's great to have you again. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And this morning we come to a topic that may be the most countercultural of the topics that we've looked at thus far. The topic that we're going to look at has everything to do with overestimating our value and underestimating the value of others. Do you ever notice how poor we are at assessment? For example, how about when somebody goes in for a job interview? Are we honest in the evaluation and the assessment? So when the HR interviewer says, so what's your biggest flaw? What's your weakness? Does the person being interviewed ever say, well, my problem is that I'm just super lazy. I find it hard to get out of bed. You better keep a pillow nearby. I'm going to sleep at work. Of course not. Or how about this one? I'm just incredibly dishonest. So you guys better lock up all the good stuff if you hire me. No, we say things like this at the interview. My biggest flaw is that I'm a perfectionist. I can never be satisfied until everything is exactly the way it should be. Or maybe I just overwork. Once I start a project, I can't rest for a minute until the project is completed. We overestimate our value, underestimate the value of others. Well, this morning, Paul talks about how to properly assess and properly evaluate. We're going to look at a section from 1 Corinthians all the way down in section 12. So we've been looking at Corinthians, and we've gone right through the first four chapters. Now, let me tell you why we're jumping from the end of four all the way to 12. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians kind of hang together. Paul is laying the foundation on which the rest of the letter will be built. But then once he gets to chapter 5, he either answers questions that the Corinthians asked or he addresses different topics. And so we're going to jump to chapter 12 and we're going to look at gifts and service. So if you would, take your Bibles, your iPad, your phone, your computer, whatever you want to use and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm gonna kind of jump around in the beginning section, and then starting in verse 12, I'll read verse 12 almost through the end of the chapter, and see if you can put together what Paul's saying about a proper evaluation, proper assessment, and how we need to shift into the gospel mode rather than the cultural mode of evaluation. Verse one. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so there Paul tells us he's shifting the topic of where he's been to the new topic of spiritual gifts and what that means. Jump down to verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Jump down to verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Jump down to verse 11. All these are the work of one in the same spirit. He distributes these gifts to each one just as he determines. Then Paul picks up one of his favorite metaphors and plays with it through the rest of the chapter, beginning in verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, 
and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. You see what Paul's saying? We come along with our assessment we come along with our evaluation and we wanna take some parts of the body and elevate them to places that God never did. And we wanna look down on other parts, but God tells us not to do that. In fact, isn't that the problem that lies beneath so much of the division that Paul's been speaking about in the first four chapters? We estimate that we have more value than we do, therefore we get puffed up and rise to the top or we look down on others and push them down. That wrong evaluation is based on overestimating our value and underestimating the value of others. Well, how are we gonna break down this chapter and kind of work through it? Well, the first thing I wanna talk about is organization and structure. Organization and structure. You know what, every organization, every church, every corporation, every business, has to figure out how is it going to organize, how is it going to structure to fulfill its mission and live out its values. Jim Collins has made a truckload of money playing with a metaphor, and here's the metaphor he plays with. When it comes to organization and structure, we need to get the right people on the bus, and once the right people are on the bus, we need to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. Notice, that metaphor is about organization and structure. Well, how are we supposed to organize and structure? Well, this chapter tells us, and the rest of the Bible would reiterate, that God organizes, God structures. God brings people onto the bus, God brings people into the faith, and once we're kind of assembled on the bus, God moves us to fulfill the roles and responsibilities based on the gifts that he has given us. Well, notice Paul plays with this body metaphor. The, the body metaphor was that long description and Paul will bring up the body metaphor numerous times in the New Testament. Whenever Paul talks about spiritual gifts, you can bet the body metaphor is quickly following. So here's what's going on. 
The body metaphor tells us that every member of the body is important. Every member of the body has a role to play. Every member of the body has to fit into the organization. Suppose then some parts of your body, look at other parts of your body and say, wait, we're not appreciated as much as they are. Uh, let me pick two. Since I have uh, two lungs and most other people have two lungs, uh, kind of twins, right? Uh, the lungs begin to have a conversation among themselves and the conversation may go like this. Well, did you ever notice that uh, we're not appreciated at all around here, but yeah, we have to work 24 seven. We never get a rest. We can't shut our eyes. 24-7, we've got to keep working. But boy, do you notice all the attention that's paid to the nose? Or how about in this whole COVID mess? To the hair? Um, boy, hair is to be cut, hair has to be colored, hair is to do all these things. Nobody ever pays attention to us lungs here, but the noses, they get all the attention. The hair gets all the attention. I'll tell you what, what do you say we go on strike? No more breathing here. Well, that would be ridiculous. But yet how often that gets played out when it comes to the body of Christ, the church. We look around and see other members maybe being appreciated more. Those with some gifts being lifted up, we look down our nose at others with other gifts. But yet often the members of the body that we don't see, that we don't esteem well, are those that are absolutely indispensable. How much attention and appreciation do you give to your lungs, your kidneys, your heart? But without those things, we cease to be. Some of you know real well. We can live without hair. We can't live without lungs. We can't live without kidneys. We can't live without a heart. Those parts of the body that we often deem less necessary are absolutely necessary. Another thing we need to think about is gifts. This chapter is all about spiritual gifts. Now, you may be saying, Charles, we know an awful lot about gifts. We give gifts. I had someone just graduate, someone that a neighbor, a friend, a child, um, and we gave gifts. Yeah, here's the problem. We use gift, gift language, but we often don't think about the definition of gift. So, for example, a gift is completely unearned, undeserved, unmerited. But yet even as we often use the term, in our achievement-oriented culture, just like in Corinth, we often give gifts and expect gifts as marks of accomplishment and achievement. So even at Christmas time, what do we say to our kids? Well, if you're nice and not naughty, you'll get a gift. In a sense, you can earn it by being nice and not naughty. How about this? We just have finished a graduation season. So what do we do? We give or receive graduation gifts, but the gift is actually a sign or a mark of an accomplishment. We give wedding gifts, birthday gifts, retirement gifts. Those are all marks of accomplishment. Question, how many of you have ever felt cheated because you gave to someone a more valuable gift than that person gave to you. That tells us that we're not thinking of a gift when we give it. We think of a gift as being earned or deserved. So when we give a gift worth X, we then deserve a gift worth at least X in return. Gifts are completely undeserved, unmerited, cannot be um, 
paid for in any way. That's what our salvation is through Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You never merit it. And that's what these spiritual gifts are that Paul writes about in chapter 12. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You never merit it. One more thing I want to say. These are spiritual gifts. So Paul talks about this body metaphor. These things are received as gifts. You didn't earn them, merit it. You can't exercise them and do a real good job at it. Um, but they're also spiritual gifts. As you read through um, chapter 12, here's what you discover. These spiritual gifts are for the common good. Did you see that? They're for the common good. Spiritual gifts are never given, so we will be applauded or receive accolades from other people. Those, these gifts are for the common good. They're for the building up, the edification of the body, never for building yourself up. They're for the building up of the body. Here's how we say it. Our spiritual gifts are given for the common good, the building of the body. In other words, our gifts are given to continue what Jesus started. That's why we have these gifts, spiritual enablements given by God to continue what Jesus started. But that's a little bit on organizational structure. How about roles and responsibilities? How do the roles and responsibilities work? Well, I thought out long and hard about this, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? It would be good to walk through every gift mentioned in chapter 12, give you a succinct definition, work through the details, how it functions, but then they told me I don't have five hours. I got just a few minutes to kind of do this. And so here's what I looked for. I began to look for a way to categorize or compartmentalize the gifts. So we don't wind up with a gift with a list of 15 or 20 or whatever. Uh, we can put them into different bundles. Now, the problem is the little bundles are not mutually exclusive. So you may not like how I bundle them. I've read other ways to bundle them. Some people bundle them this way, some that way. But the point is still the same. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna use three little bundles to put together these spiritual gifts, and we're gonna use the bundles of prophet, priest, and king. Now, here's why. As you read through the Old Testament, there were three main offices. There were prophets, right, who communicated God's word. There were priests who kind of made intercession and pronounced that forgiveness to people. And then there were kings who kind of led. Jesus comes and he's called the perfect prophet, priest, and king, often referred to as the three offices that Jesus holds. Well, if we assume Jesus had all the spiritual gifts, none of us have all of the gifts, all of the gifts must somehow come together to form the perfect pattern of prophet, priest, and king. So let's use prophet, priest, and king as our three categories for the gifts. Well, first of all, the prophetic office. Um, what do prophets do? Well, we could describe a whole lot of stuff that prophets do, but here's what prophets primarily do. They hear from God and then they speak for God. Another way to say that is prophets communicate meaning. Prophets transact meaning. It's almost as if prophets go through life putting price tags on things. This is a higher priority than that. Do this, but don't do that. Prophets put price tags on things. <clears throat> Some spiritual gifts are very prophetic in their function. Now notice when it comes to each of these categories, there's always going to be an experiencing piece and an extending piece. You first have to receive before you give. 
So I'm gonna put under this that profit category, the gifts of knowledge and wisdom. That's kind of the receiving piece. That's the experiencing piece. The last thing we want are prophets communicating without knowledge. We don't want preachers communicating when they don't know anything. There is the intake piece and then the give piece, the receiving and giving piece. You experience and extend. But since prophets speak, they put price tags and give meaning, the gifts of evangelism, of teaching, of prophecy. Notice, they're speaking gifts. They're helping the whole body for the common good. The whole body grows, matures, becomes stronger as they know what God's saying. There's the experiencing knowledge, wisdom, and the extending evangelism, teaching, preaching. All of those gifts function in the prophet category. But then we have the priest category. Now, the priest category uh, refer back to what priests do. So if you kind of think in your head of what the priests did in the Old Testament or what priests do even in our context, here's what priests do. They experience God's favor and blessing, right? So they first receive it, but then they extend it. They empathize and sympathize with people. So as you read Hebrews, it says, Jesus, our great high priest, he can empathize with us. He sympathizes with us. He lived in our shoes. Priests rub shoulders with the people, go through life with the people. They experience that. They empathize and sympathize, but then they shepherd, they encourage, they give mercy, they pray, they give. Notice there's the experiencing and the extending both again. Think of Barnabas. Barnabas the encourager, right? I'm reading through Acts these days. And uh, Barnabas's name shows up a couple of places. First of all, Paul, after uh, he has his eyes open to the truth of the gospel, he wants to run and see the apostles. But since he had been beating on and kind of condemning and bringing back for trial lots of Christians, the apostles are afraid to meet with him. Barnabas takes Paul and brings him to the apostles. After the end of the first missionary journey, Paul will not take John Mark because John Mark deserted on the first journey. Barnabas takes Mark and they go on the journey. Barnabas, the encourager, he empathizes, sympathizes, he shepherds, he encourages, he gives mercy. All of those priestly kind of gifts. You know, I'm thankful that there are lots of people at Calvary Church, many on staff, many more in the congregation, leading small groups, and shepherding people, caring, pastoring, empathizing, giving sympathy, walking beside people, helping, showing hospitality, etc. And then there are king gifts, king gifts. Now, uh, kings organize, kings administrate. Kings execute, not execute, they execute the plan. I put faith with the king group because faith allows us to see the end. And those with kingly kind of gifts have a way of seeing the goal, defining the destination, looking at life, not denying the present reality, but seeing the preferred future and then drawing up the plan to get there. But then there's leadership involved, the vision casting, the motivating, the administration of details and developing the plan to get there. Prophet, priest, and king. Along with reading Acts, I'm reading through Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah is often lifted up as, as kind of a good king, right? A good leader, a good administrator. He comes, he sees the mess, he sees the rubble. But what does he do? 
He sets the goal, let's build the wall. He then organizes, he brings some kind of stability and then he executes the plan. And before you know it, the wall is built. Now notice in every one of these, there's the experiencing peace. The priest experiences blessing, forgiveness, and extends it. The king, biblically speaking, has to be led by God, Jesus, the ultimate king, and then he leads others. The prophet listens to God and then leads others, teaches others. Three categories, not always mutually exclusive. You may not like where I put some of the things. You could put them somewhere else. But that in a nutshell shows us how we need to function, how God organizes and structures the church generally, and how we need to think about organizing and structuring locally, Calvary Church. Well, let me uh, mention a few observations, uh, conclusions, kind of applications to wrap this up. Uh, I'm going to make this brief. Uh, You can tell, I hope. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And so uh, I'll try to be brief. A couple of observations. Number one, everyone, every Christian has a spiritual gift. I often uh, meet Christians and they say things like this. Well, I don't think I have any gift. Wrong. I mean, some other Christians who say, I think I have every spiritual gift. I don't need anybody. Wrong. The Bible's crystal clear. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Every Christian has some value, some gift, some ministry to put into play for the common good, the building up of the body, and to continue what Jesus started. Every Christian. I know there may be one or two that cause you to scratch your head and wonder where they fit. That's our lack of faith and ability to figure it out. That's not because those people don't have gifts. Every Christian has a gift and every Christian is needed. Now, look, I know some of you kind of hang out at Calvary Church, whether it's online or hopefully soon when we're back together. And you may be at a season, in a season of life when you just need to sit back and relax. Maybe you've been wounded. You need to heal a little bit. Please come. We welcome you to do that but there are a whole bunch of others of you. You're not putting your gift into play for the common good to build up Calvary Church and to continue what Jesus started. Being a parasite is not a spiritual gift. Being a parasite is not what God calls any of us to. Every Christian is a gift, which means every Christian is valuable, needs to find his or her place, and needs to live out that role for the common good, the building up of the body, and to continue what Jesus started. Secondly, these lists were never intended to be exhaustive. Now, look, I know some people, and I've read some books where people go through the gift gift list, and they kind of add up the gifts, and I don't have this gift, I don't have that gift. I don't think that that's the point. Let me explain it this way. There are four spiritual gift passages in the New Testament. No two of them list the same set of gifts. In my opinion, It's not that God's saying, here's a list of the gifts and these are all you're getting. I think the point is this. God promises to give all that we need to do all that he's asking us to do. I find great comfort in that. You know, there are a number of very gifted people here at Calvary Church that the label of their gift doesn't appear in the New Testament. I don't see a gift of counselor. I don't see a gift of tech. I don't see a gift of, you know, people coming alongside to help. I don't see the gift of engineering. Uh, Carlos mentioned we're going to be outside for the next couple of weeks in our services. Um, We need sound engineers, light engineers. I don't see any of those gifts there. 
Here's the point, not being able to put a label on your gift, putting your service, your time, energy, giftedness into play for the common good to build up the body to continue what Jesus started. Number three, gifts are affirmed through serving. Now, look, I know you can go online and you can download gift inventories and you can figure it out at the end. Oh, here are your three gifts, top three. I don't think that's how it works. How do you determine the gifts that you have? You get going. How do you determine if you can swim or not? You jump into the pool. How do you know what gifts you have? Jump in and see when you use your time and energy in ways that are for the common good, in ways that are building up the body, in ways that are continuing what Jesus started. The body affirms the gifts and the gifts are affirmed as we serve. So you can't be sitting on the sidelines and never get a gift affirmed. You need to be putting your gift into play. And as you put them into play, you will be affirmed in the way you do. Well, the last thing I want to say is that there's kind of a lowest common denominator. Now, remember lowest common denominator from math? You know, greatest common multiple, lowest common denominator. Here's what I mean by that. As you read through the gift list in 1 Corinthians 12, that's the passage we're looking at. You read through all those gifts. Here's what you'll probably discover. It sure seems like some of those gifts are to be characteristics of every Christian. For example, faith. Isn't the Bible pretty clear? If you don't have faith, you can't be a Christian. So how in the world can faith be a spiritual gift when everybody needs faith? How about this one? Hospitality. Shouldn't everybody be hospitable, welcoming strangers? Shouldn't every spirit, shouldn't every Christian be giving? Every Christian be praying and interceding? Every Christian be helping? Every Christian be learning what God's word says and be sharing what it says? Every Christian sharing his or her faith? We need to be, yeah, there's maybe a lowest common denominator. So maybe every one of us needs to be living out at some level every one of the gifts. We all need to be functioning as prophets, priests, and kings, taking in what God's word says and what truth is, and then sharing it appropriately, taking in God's blessing and forgiveness, empathizing, sympathizing with people, walking beside them and sharing his love, mercy, and grace, taking in the organization as we follow Jesus, but organizing our lives and our schedules in ways that reflect his goodness and his grace. Yeah, but some... Some believers will exercise those particular things at heightened degrees, in advanced ways. We call those things spiritual gifts. So there's a lowest common denominator where every one of us needs to be living out something in every one of those gift areas. But in some areas, we're uniquely gifted, enabled by God to do things for the common good for the building up of Calvary Church in the Christian community and to continue what Jesus started. Now, if you have trouble struggling with gift envy, kind of wanting that person's gift over here, or um, gift hoarding where you've got gifts, maybe you even know what they are, but you're gonna kind of hoard it and not serve other people. You know what the real cure to that is? Just gaze at our gift-giving God. God the Father gave the Son to come and bring redemption to this world as undeserved as it is. And so Jesus came voluntarily and gave his life, paid what we couldn't pay to win us back to the Father. And then God the Son gives the Spirit 
so that we can now become part of what God's doing, part of the Jesus mission, part of the gospel community. And the Spirit gives gifts to make our work fruitful and beneficial and productive. So in some way, I say to every one of you, as I remind myself, get serving. There's a lowest common denominator in every one of those categories. And as we jump in and serve, God will show you some of those areas in which he's uniquely gifted and enabled you to do things for the common good, to build up the community, and to continue what Jesus started. Father, we give you thanks for this uh, incredible model of organization and structure. We live in a world where uh, people want to uh, point to this and point to that and organize according to their own structures and schemes But Lord, you say you'll order, you'll do the structure, you'll do the organization. And you do that through the distribution of spiritual gifts, just as you desired, just as you planned and determined. Lord, help us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought or more lowly than we ought, but help us to realize we have needs and we're needed. And help us all to serve for the common good, for the building up of the community, and to continue what Jesus started. We pray in his name.